success. I've chosen to, um, to speak on this topic this morning because as I reflect on my life, it's something which is always in the background of decisions I've made and places I've gone to, things I've done, etc. And when I look in the Bible and I bring up the topic in a concordance of success, I don't see anything on it. The Bible is not a success manual, but I've become a Christian and I'm seeking to live out of this book, out of the story. And so today I'm really going to share a few musings, a few ramblings, which sort of reflect things which I've wrestled with to sort of try and make sense of my life in the context of this topic of success um, and in the context of the biblical story. So I trust it may provide some navigation points for you, some points of reflection. But when we think about success this morning, you've really just got to look at the papers and we see this great picture on the front of the Sunday Star Times of the All Whites in the World Cup. Mate, who watched the game last night? You know, success. The All Whites clearly knew what success was for them as a team. It was to get one more goal than Bahrain. It was easily defined. They knew when they had achieved it and mate, did they party last night from what I can gather. And wasn't it great to see Rory Fallon on TV last night, thank God, Jesus Christ, you know, he was just, um, he wasn't using the Lord's name in vain, but he was just so thankful. Um, this God was obviously part of his life and his expression in the soccer game. I thought it was just wonderful. And of course, you see that definition on the screen, you know, it's about achievement, it's about achieving something which we set out to work towards or what have you. And there's nothing wrong with success, but it's interesting the Bible doesn't talk about it. Jesus doesn't come and give us the five steps to success in his teachings. The Bible doesn't give those principles. I'm not going to give them to you. But as we reflect on this topic this morning, in essence, I think the whole concept of success is to how we view the world. And, and the quote on the screen, it talks about worldviews are what people in a community take as given realities, the maps they have of reality that they use for living. Whether we like it or not, or whether we've thought about it or not, we live out of a map. We construct our own realities. Our culture has maps of reality. The reason I've brought a newspaper along this morning and put my Bible with the newspaper is in a sense to, in a, in a pictorial way, show this two realities. The reality of our world in which we live in. The reality out of the biblical story and the life of Christ. How do these two worlds merge together and make sense for me as a Christian in the 21st century? I looked up on the internet for some quotes on success to sort of try and get a bit of inspiration because Jesus never gave any. And I got some good ones. Success is simply a matter of luck. Ask any failure. <laughs> Let us be thankful for fools. But for them, the rest of us could not succeed. The only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. <laughs> this is the most spiritual one. God, God gave us two ends, one to sit on and one to think with. Success depends on which one you use. Heads you win, tails you lose. <laughs> Inspirational stuff, isn't it? You know? But in our culture, 
there are many markers of success. And on the screen, I just listed off a whole lot of different markers of success. And I'm sure as you look at that list on the screen of travel, of education, of career, of family, of community, of health, low cholesterol, diet, all these kinds of things, they're all things at different times in our lives we may have made a focus or a target to improve or make changes in. None of those things are wrong in themselves. They're all part of just being human and living in our culture. But then when I think about the biblical story and Christians, the sorts of views which we articulate about what really is a map of reality. Some Christian groups would reduce the Christian story down to this thing, it's all about love. God is love, Jesus is love. It's just all about love. And we need to love everybody, it's all love. And that's the essence of Christianity, that's the essence of Jesus is love. The more traditional sort of evangelical construct is sort of a, a bit more robust than that, and it, you know, it tends to say Jesus came to save sinners, all the world's going to hell, so get saved and a secure spot in heaven, in heaven and get others saved too. This world is evil, disconnect and go to church, make life work until Jesus comes. My faith is largely about me and my life being a success. Well, the last line we don't often articulate that well. But I suggest even that story is incomplete with the story of what Christ gave to us. But in essence, that story of hell, heaven, get my sin dealt with, go to church is sort of, in a sense, the map that has sort of structured my life for most of my life. And, but I believe that there's much more. There's a richer story than just that truncated evangelical message. And so when I think about success, I constructed this statement, success is realizing that my cultural story of success needs to be exchanged for the opportunity to now be part of the cosmic story of redemption and restoration of this world as revealed and inaugurated by Jesus. It's an exchange. And as we go through this um, time this morning, I trust that you may capture a sense of the exchange which Christ has called us and his disciples to. You see, as Christians, we can sort of feel as though we're there because we've got eternity sorted. But then we know we're going to heaven when we die, and in the meantime, we go to church and we sing a few hymns, we read the Bible, have a few prayers during the week, but that's my Christian faith, that's the core, I'm, I'm across the line, I've got the next round sorted. Not like my neighbour next door, he's going to hell, but I'll try and share the four spiritual laws with him sometime, but at least I've got my life sorted, but I still want to get a good career, I want to make plenty of money, I want to have a good retirement income, so I can sit back and just perhaps when I retire have a bit more time to serve the Lord. A fairly sort of generic, cynical Christian story, Christian view. But the sad thing happens is that stuff happens in our lives. And perhaps during this recession time for us middle class, um, we've been a bit hit by the recession in ways in which we tend to have been able to protect ourselves from in the past. Been hit financially, been hit career-wise, been hit job-wise. And the number of people I talk to who say, you know, like in this context, you know, it's really got me on my knees to pray. I'm starting to read my Bible more, etc. Isn't it interesting? But I wonder what type of prayers you pray. If you're anything like me, I'm not praying the Lord's Prayer in these times when I've had 
when stuff goes wrong, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I'm honest, it tends to be about, Lord, just help me get back to where I was going. I sort of, we've got off track a bit here. It's hurting. And I want to get here. This is where I'm going. Now I'm going here. Help me get back, Lord. Help me get my story, get my vision back on track. Comes back on track. and ah, yeah, Prayer life shortens. <laughs> Don't need the devotional time in the morning quite as much. Um, we nailed it. We're away. Thank you, Lord. I'm saved. I'm looking forward to eternity. Hallelujah. <laughs> but in the scriptures, we meet characters that face these things, and we can learn a lot from the scriptures, from people's lives. When I think of the story of Job, Satan comes before God and says, look, if you strike everything he has, he will curse you to your face. So God lets him hit his oxen, his camels, his servants, his children, all wiped out in one afternoon. Boom. Satan comes back before God. and God says, well, how's my man of integrity going? And Satan sort of, <laughs> I bet if I hit his flesh, he will curse you. So God says, yeah, okay, go for his flesh this time. So he gets all these sores and boils, etc., and we read in the story how Job and his wife are having a conversation. And in this conversation, Job's wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and died. He replies, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Here's Job and his wife. We've got no reason to think that she's an unbeliever or a believer or what have you. They're viewing the same reality. And he's saying, look, in the context of my story, my understanding of life and faith in God, this is all congruent. This is to be expected. And shall we accept good and not bad? God is in control. But she's saying, listen, this is it's gone too far. You're hanging on to this story, and look, it's just not working. Give it away. It's tip-over point. We then roll forward into the New Testament and the Apostle Paul and living out in his life. Now, he had been lashed with whips like Christ had been. You know, five times he had received not 40, 39 lashes, one less than Christ. He had been beaten with bars. He had been shipwrecked. He had been persecuted and everything. And he makes this profound statement in, in Philippians, and he says... I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. That statement just sort of empties me out. I wish that I could be as stable and connected with my God and his purposes that these circumstances don't cause me to plummet and then to rise. I wish I was a steady ship. But you can see Paul says, I have learnt. It just didn't come to him. It wasn't a download of a reprogram. He has learnt to face life and work through life and be content regardless. To my mind, Job, Paul here, 
These are sort of glimpses of what I would call in trying to navigate my life and create a successful life, glimpses of how it can be. And I think this is where the, the challenge is for us as Christians to get a sense of what control really means if we're seeking to live out of our lives in Christ. It reminds me of the story of the rich young ruler. This young guy comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We assume from the story he's rich and he's a ruler. He's got power, he's got status, he's got wealth. A together person. But he realizes Jesus is around and he's talking about this eternal life stuff, so he comes up to him. He sort of wants to complete his portfolio. And Jesus says, well, you know, you need to keep all the commandments. And he reels off a few and says, yes, I've kept them. And then Jesus um, says to him, one thing you lack, just go sell everything and give it to the poor. Jesus knew in this guy that this guy's story was all about his wealth and the accumulation of possessions. And Jesus wasn't saying, yeah, I can, you can have eternal life, just pray the prayer, confess your sins, and um, you're saved and you're across the line, and go on and living. Jesus, in a sense, was saying, you're going to come into my world. Come and live out of the values of my story and join my mission because money and materialism, the pursuit of those things which have made you what you are, you've got to let those go. And he walks away empty-handed, despondent, does this rich young ruler, because he couldn't manipulate Jesus' story and Jesus as a person to work for his own ends. And so when we reflect on this, then we think of the disciples and we think of, this, of their lives and living with Jesus. You would think if you were living with Jesus day after day, that this wonderful relationship would hold you through whatever would come. But we read in John chapter 6, an interesting account with Jesus with his disciples and other disciples that were gathered around him and following him. We read in John chapter 6, and it's on the screen, and it says this, Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? And Peter answered, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, a group on the outer fringes of the core of the disciples no, chose to no longer walk with Jesus because what he had been saying was confronting their world. It no longer fitted with the story which they had of reality. And Jesus then turns to his disciples, and I find this very interesting, and he says to them, do you want to go away too? You know, are you with me? Are you going as well? And Peter, you know, says, no, you've got eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. This is, this is what's causing us to hang in there. But we find as the story rolls forward that this doesn't cause Peter and the disciples to hang in there with Jesus. Later on in the gospel story, we find Jesus is with the disciples and he's starting to tell them that in time to come, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die, but then I will rise again. And in the context of that discussion, Peter confronts Jesus, says, never, Lord, never shall this happen. 
Peter didn't see this as part of the reality of the story of being a successful Jesus, of being a successful follower of Jesus. It was his role to actually protect Jesus from what was coming. And in the context of that, Jesus responds to Peter, and he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What an interesting statement. Jesus wanted to, Peter wanted to stop the work of God, and Jesus could see Peter was coming out of a human view, rather than out of God's view of what was needing to unfold. And as Jesus responds there and rebukes Peter, tells him to get behind him, he's just like Satan, he goes on to say, he says, look guys, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. See, this whole thing of this exchange, we need to exchange our story, our vision, for his story. And what we find, a few days following this story, that when Jesus is arrested, it says in the scriptures, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. We'd heard earlier on, Peter says, no, we're not going to desert you because we've got eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. In a sense, we've got this relationship with God. We've got eternity sorted out. We can hang in there. But what I would suggest as I reflect on this story in my own life, that is really insufficient. We have to live out our lives in this context today. And it's more than just having those things secure, this privatized faith, this little package to get me through this life and to finally get to this new reality. You see, Jesus' life was a, was a mixed message. It was very successful in, in worldly terms in the first part of his mission. You know, sight to the blind, demons cast out, controlling the weather, rebuking the Pharisees and the religious leaders, bringing hope to the broken. Wonderful life to be attached to. But then he comes to Jerusalem and the story changes. I'm now I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the local authorities. And at that point, the disciples, they pull back. And when he's arrested, they scarper, they're gone. You see, for Jesus, this was what he was on about. Because then we end up at the cross, and Jesus says this very short but profound statement, it is finished. In other words, this is it. It's a bit like the soccer team last night. They knew what success would finally look like. One goal more than Bahrain. This is it. They knew what it was. All of Jesus' disciples, all the culture around him saw his life as a failure. But for him, the mission was accomplished at the cross. So in what we've covered so far, and we're looking at this whole thing of success and our Christian faith and the Christian journey. We can see that our culture is preoccupied with success. It's human to want to be successful. Jesus knew once he had achieved it. We can also see it's not all about this private relationship and about eternity. But what I propose, it's about a story for this life 
that enacts God's story. And that's where I just want to wrap up our, our reflection this morning, is looking at what the story of salvation really is. Because I'd suggest to you it's something more than just securing our eternity and our relationship with God, the sort of privatized faith to get me through. And so the first point I want to really raise in this context is this, that our salvation is about us and the active expression of the kingdom that was inaugurated by Jesus. You see, when we become a Christian, we become a new creation. Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul also talks about, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives. And so the old nature, this new nature of Christ, I've taken on Christ. If we've taken on the nature of Christ, we've taken on the life and the mission of Christ, which was more than just eternity. Christ was active for many years in this culture, living out the story of God. His prayer to the disciples was, Teach us how to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says it was his food to do the Father's will. This is what filled his tank. And so in becoming Christian, we, become, we exchange this nature for the nature of Christ. We exchange the story for the story of Christ. And our food becomes to do the will of God, to bring God's heaven to earth. And so, the Christian story, the Gospels, is not about going to heaven. I suggest it's about bringing heaven to earth now. Because, in a sense, heaven is where God's will is done. We can bring glimpses of eternity and the restored creation to this world today. As we bring the love and the mercy and the justice of God to the places in which we work, to the neighbor next door, to the community in which we worship. Why would we renovate this old scout hall in Albany? When we did that, we didn't read one Bible verse. We didn't preach on the corner. We just did the stuff. And I remember talking to a couple after that, and they said, mate, we've worked hard this weekend. We went home, we slept so well, but it just felt so good. I wonder why. My sense is that we're connecting with, we're made in the image of God, and it's God's will to restore and make things better in this world. We were doing some of his restoration, some of his redemptive work. And it may be in music or dance or what have you, where we can be God's redeeming agents. We can bring a wholesomeness that would not have been there if it wasn't for me as a Christian being in that environment. And of course, we bring, that's all part of the gospel. We also want to see people come to know the one who drives us, the God whom we've come to know through Jesus, the one whom we live in anticipation of. And I like the statement on the screen where Wright says, Jesus is risen, therefore God's new world has begun. Jesus is risen, therefore Israel and the world have been redeemed. Jesus is risen, therefore we have a new job to do. And it's not about our mission. It's about his mission for this world. And so it's not this private thing. 
it's an expression of God to this world. And so our salvation is about now and the future. God's now and God's future. And I think that's the exciting thing. We're not waiting to be taken out of this world. We are waiting in anticipation of the fullness of God's restoration here. But in the meantime, we are doing our part to bring God's love and his redemption to the culture and the world around us. And so I go back to the statement I put on the screen at the beginning about success. It is realizing that my cultural story of success needs to be exchanged for the opportunity to now be part of the cosmic story of redemption and restoration of this world begun with Jesus. And so in essence, when you look at the newspaper and our Bible, these aren't to be separate worlds. In essence, the story of our culture needs to be folded into the story of the hope of Christ, of a redeemed and restored world that begins now and one day will be fully inaugurated when Jesus returns. That is the hope. That is the story that should define us as Christians. And that should be our measurement of success. Am I advancing his story through my life or, I, or am I preoccupied about fulfilling the script I have written for me? Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz. Thank you.